Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this second of a four-part series called Vision Under the Tree, Dorje Lopan, Dr. Han Lai, discusses the basics of meditation as practiced and taught by the historical Buddha. These teachings discuss citta bhavana, or the development or cultivation of the heart-mind, that is at the core of Buddha's way of meditating. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. So welcome and welcome back. Uh, as uh, May just said, this is the second of uh, four uh, Sundays that we are going to spend together. Uh, on uh, what I have given uh, this title, uh, The Vision uh, Under the Tree. Uh, This is in reference to uh, the story of the Buddha uh, that when he finally uh, woke up, uh, when he finally became awakened, when he finally became free from confusion, it is said that it happened uh, underneath uh, this very old tree uh, that subsequently is called the Bodhi tree, uh, the tree of awakening. Uh, So, um, in case uh, you were not here last week, um, the teaching from last week is available uh, at the Urban Dharma uh, podcast and um, there is a little sheet of information usually uh, right inside that door Um, it has the email address that May was talking about in terms of getting in touch with us Uh, and it also has the Uh, I believe, the podcast site. And it also has uh, our website. Um, So please um, remember to take one of those on your way out if you don't have it already. Uh, So now, uh, since uh, last week, uh, we were able to do a couple of uh, short uh, kind of um, sittings. Uh, I thought that today we will begin uh, by doing that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it will be uh, a guided uh, meditation that we'll start with. Um, right, special effects. <laughs>
Uh, although there are different instructions, some very specific and others more general, about the optimal posture uh, to adopt for meditation, uh, right now, uh, what I suggest that you do uh, is to just try to sit in a position that is comfortable. So give yourself uh, permission, give yourself space to um, adjust your physical posture as we settle uh, into a comfortable, uh, optimal posture. So whether you're seated on the floor, on a cushion, on a chair, or in the pews, Some pointers would be that you want your body to be in a balanced position. This is to avoid putting lopsided um, pressure, weight on one side or the other that will eventually cause some discomfort. So just adjust you know, slightly. Uh, if you want to sway around a little bit as you're sitting. Maybe keep the mental image of a pendulum that is swinging and slowly, naturally, uh, it'll reach a still point. So you want a position that is balanced. If you're seated on the chair or in the pews, you want to try to have both your feet firmly on the ground. Sometimes that might mean sitting a little bit forward in your chair. And for some others, it might mean sitting further back. So go ahead and kind of adjust. All of this is the work of training the mind and training the body as well. So this is not a preliminary to something else, to the main show that will happen later. But just letting the body settle that itself is the training. So just let your body sit as it will. And then for a moment, notice how you are holding your body up. And then simply release that awareness. Then again, be aware that you're holding your body up.
Now bring awareness to your spine in particular. And let your spine grow upward. Let it stretch as if it is reaching up into the skies. Notice if there's any tenseness or rigidity as you do that. And if there is, just breathe in and imagine directing your breath to that tenseness, to that rigidity. Then just let your body grow firm and upright. Imagining perhaps that you are a flower growing in the field and turning towards the sun. Take a few deep and deliberate breaths and imagine directing your breath from outside into your nostrils. From your nostrils, just imagine the breath going washing all the way down your spine, going all the way down to your tailbone and feel the spine completely relaxed, completely at ease. And you could even imagine from the spine, from your central column, a glow, a certain light that is glowing so that it's not only relaxed, but it's alert. Now very slowly, open up your chest, let your shoulders kind of pull to the back a little bit, and feel this openness. Do this as you are breathing in, open up your chest, and feel the openness. Momentarily hold your shoulders towards the back a little, with a little bit of tension, that's okay. And then slowly release that tension. Do this a few times, 
then settle into this openness, this physical openness. When you're ready, let your awareness go to the very ends of your body, your entire body, where your body ends and the space around your body starts. Let your awareness go to that, go to that border area. And so let your awareness spread out throughout your body and right at that border between your body and the space that is not your body. See if you can feel your skin touching space. You can keep your eyes open or closed. Just experiment with that yourself to see which is more helpful. If they are open, let your gaze be downwards, about two or three feet in front of you, without concentrating. Just simply let your gaze fall in that general vicinity. If you feel a tenseness or pain and you feel a need to adjust your body, before you adjust that, take note of that and stay with that sensation. Then go ahead and adjust it. If you feel a particular itch, before immediately Scratching, take note, take note of that. Stay with it, and then go ahead. So whatever physical movements that you're going to make during this time, first take note. Take take note on how the mind says, "Do something," and stay and learn that feeling. Of the mind saying, "Do something."
with your awareness spread out to the very borders of your body now slowly bring all your awareness inside pulling back in and let that awareness gather around your nostrils where breath enters the body and where breath leaves the body and slowly direct your awareness to awareness of inhalation awareness of exhalation there's no need to manipulate breath to control breath simply place awareness on breath entering the body and breath leaving the body at that contact point in your nostrils you're not aiming to stop thinking you're learning to think more deliberately or at least to pay attention to harness thoughts for contemplation so as a breath enters pay attention to how it feels don't think about how it feels but pay attention to how it feels and as breath leaves the body also pay attention to how it feels Now pay attention to the very end of an inhalation and the very end of an exhalation. Pay attention to those transition points. See if you can find 
that stillness between those two breaths, between an inhalation and an exhalation, between an exhalation and an inhalation. Look for that little moment of break, of stillness, of a pause. I saw a cartoon on uh, one of the issues of the New Yorker. Uh, maybe some of you saw that. Uh, it had a, the illustration was uh, two people in some sort of a gym, and I think the woman was on a treadmill or something like that, and the guy was on some sort of like contraption uh, that had a hammer, a chain, and uh, and the. Uh, uh, what it said that was uh, 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 as an exercise is torture, but as torture it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your meditation or torture? <laughs> That's what it does. <laughs> they say uh, if uh, clothing is kind of tight, then uh, it might cause that. Uh, then they say you take a, a blanket or something and you wrap around your legs, keep your feet warm, and that might help. Um, but the thing is, 
I mean, there's so many things you could do or not do that could make it right or wrong. And certainly, it's definitely more helpful if you uh, wear a skirt, you know, like monks and nuns. (laughs) Then you can fold your legs easier. Uh, So yeah, so 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 kind of like conventionally speaking, relatively speaking, I'm sure there are things one could do, and and we do. Right, so so we, we let's say this session, uh, sitting on the floor is 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 really torturous today. I don't know why. Uh, so then you know you, you get on the chair, right? So you sit. Um, but whether we sit on the chair, or we sit on the floor, or we lie down, before we give into and say, I need to change it. I need to shift it. First, some understanding needs to occur. And the understanding that needs to occur is, it is what it is. Right? Last week we talked about how uh, the, the key training here is training to see things as they are. That it is what it is. And to learn not to do what we normally do when we have an experience. You know, which is, when we have an experience, then immediately following, following the experience, it's only a memory at that point. And then we want the memory to go this way and not that way. And then we feed the narrative of that memory. Right? Then we have a, a, a mini story going on there. Then before long, we are either inspired to save the world or to destroy it. <laughs> but all of that, you know, it's just a lot of kind of mental energy going all over the place. And we have no control. Not that the, the, the goal here is to be in control, right? <laughs> no. It's to let go and say, that's just what bodies do. And even, ironically, that's just what minds do. <laughs> Sometimes I've given the example or the way of thinking of so so this is like the context, right? And 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 it's more important and more powerful than we even realize. Yeah, so that that cartoon, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it might seem kind of funny, but it's really true. Uh, as exercise, man, that was torture. But you know, as torture, well, that beats you know waterboarding. <laughs> you know, 
Not that any one of us should be in that situation, hopefully, or not that we should subject anyone to that situation, but context. Right? So another way, uh, I, I, an example I like to use is, I said, when we are faced with situations that we find to be overbearing, to be too much, to be, you know, like very undesirable, often we feel that way because of context. And what that context is, whether the the whether the 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 heart is very tight or very open. What we normally do when we are in a situation where we find to be unbearable, it's the equivalent of, many of you have heard me using this before, one of my favorite ones, it's the equivalent of being locked up in that closet over there with, you know, nine crazy cats. And they're clawing at each other. And, and you're trying to get them to calm down by yelling and screaming at them. <laughs> the same nine cats, just as crazy, plus you, just as eager to get them to stop. But now, get out of the closet. Be you know, at Craggy Gardens, Max Patch, somewhere with a big open space. The the difference is that that context, right? The, the, The other elements, you know, it's sort of like when the cats have arrived, it's not much you can do about them. But what you can do is to whether to herd them into a little closet and try to solve the problem or go out into a big meadow and try to solve the problem. And often, you know, all you have to do is go out in a big meadow. Things will kind of... They might continue to fight still. But after a while, it just kind of goes. But our habits are such that, you know, we, we, we get really crammed into. So the same, the same idea. When we think somebody loves us, then when we see that person, It's a positive experience. When we think somebody dislikes us, we see that person, it's an unpleasant experience. So what's the good news? And the bad news? 
we see, we perceive. We perceive. Your perception determines your experience. Your perception determines your experience. Yes, so we come back to that verse from the Dhammapada, the opening verses of the Dhammapada. It says, All states of being are determined by the heart. It is the heart that leads the way. Just as the wheel of the ox cart follows the hoof print of the animal that draws it, so suffering will surely follow when we speak or act impulsively from an obscured heart. All states of being are determined by the heart. It is the heart that leads the way. As surely as our shadow never leaves us, so well-being will follow when we speak or act with an unobscured heart. So our hearts, our minds, our heart-minds are obscured. They are habitualized to respond and to react and to interpret, to project, without any kind of awareness that most of it is just it's acting and reacting to its own projections. So a classic Buddhist kind of example of that is uh, coming to an unfamiliar place, an unfamiliar room or a house. It's dark at night. You open the door into the room. Uh, There's a window and there's some you know, moonlight coming in, you know, illuminating a little bit of the room. But in the next moment, you think you see a snake. (laughs) Now, if you were a herpetologist, you have one response to that. Ooh. If you are me, you have the opposite response. Right? And now the snake is moving. It has seen me. It's going to eat me now. Right? Now somebody else who is just right behind or beside me probably knows something about this house that I don't know. And then she starts running like crazy. <laughs> and we're in trouble. But instead, this person flips on the switch, and there's a coil of rope right, right there. Is the fear real? Well, real enough. But this person knows. Oh, yeah, I left a coil of you know, rope there. Yeah, but... My 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 projection, you know. Now, am I saying that do we have to take this you know example 
and apply it in every single situation? Well, not necessary. Although, you know, um, some Buddhists will, will say, yeah, literally everything is just a projection. Um, I, I don't know if we really need to go that far for something like this to be used in a very helpful way to remember that most of what we react to when we're dealing with other people mainly coming from our projections onto other people. We complain a lot about how people have become so self-centered. They can only think of themselves. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. If that's true, you can still kind of feel okay about that situation. Which means that people are too busy to think about you. So don't worry about it. Uh. (laughs) I mean, really, most of the time, people are just too busy. Yeah, thinking about themselves. And then they, they like knock you over. They're not even aware. Very few people now take the trouble to knock you over. <laughs> because not only are they selfish or self-centered, they have Facebook. <laughs> or a smartphone. Yeah, so the, 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 the literal or the metaphorical Facebook or smartphone, whether you actually have one or not, that's our situation. You know, so most people don't really have time to, to conspire any ill will towards us. They're just going about their lives, but becoming more and more distracted. So distraction is the culprit. And, and what, what this training is to bring awareness, to cultivate awareness. So being insensitive is not because the person is, you know, bad, morally corrupt, <laughs> and all those loaded, right, religious terms that we could use. Buddha said that, you know, it's not that. It's not original sin. It's not some metaphysical evil floating around out there. And Buddha says, distraction. So, when we speak or act impulsively from an obscured heart, once the heart has become obscured, the most fundamental obscuration of the heart is unawareness, lack of awareness. That's the most fundamental. Then from there, all sorts of other things come in. Some very exciting, some not so exciting, some inspiring, some rather depressing. But all those are Obscurations. So, 
So the most fundamental obscuration. Then once that obscuration of unawareness has occurred, and and all of this is momentary. It's not like there is a heart somewhere, some, some kind of metaphysical heart, some spiritual heart that has become obscure. It's not a thing. That obscuration is happening moment by moment by moment. And that's also the good news. Because one moment of unobscure is one moment of clear seeing is one moment of freedom. All you have to do is to keep that one moment. Right? You don't have to reverse centuries and centuries, and if you're Buddhist, eons and eons of confusion. Because that's, that's just an abstract, that's just a concept. All we have is this moment. Is this moment obscured or unobscured? Right now, obscured. Other questions from just doing the meditation earlier or if you did some homework over the week? Hmm? Yes. <laughs> the dog ate my homework. Uh, I have a question. Yes. I don't know if it's good or it's bad. What is the money? Hmm? You know, in the Heart Sutra, um, the Bhagavan goes to sleep, sort of. Enters a very profound state of absorption. That's what samadhi means. Well, does that happen sometimes when you meditate? It doesn't accidentally happen. It's cultivated. It just doesn't accidentally happen. No, it does not accidentally happen. It's cultivated. So I was going to sleep, right? Yes. Yes. That accidentally happens. Right now, you know, um, our minds are so acquainted to being busy that the only time it stops, it means sleep. And we are trying to do something else that is not sleeping. And so it's, it's like the mind is so used to either zero or hundred. It sees no kind of, you know, it's not used to. Like, what do you mean you're relaxing, you don't want to sleep? Hello? Come on, come on, let's go to sleep. Yeah? Or that it says, oh, you're alert? Okay, now let's go run around, run around, run around, run around. But what you're trying to do is like, no, I don't want to run around, but I don't want to go to sleep either. I don't want to do anything, but I don't want to go to sleep either. But we're so used to their their being, you know, they're having only two options: go to sleep or run around doing things. Yeah. I tend to nod off a lot. Mm-hmm. 
then I, I, I so I talked to myself about okay, fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But it's still in my mind about that. So. Uh, just like the question about, you know, like the legs <laughs> falling asleep, right? And you could do this, you could do that, right? <coughs> or just keeping the image of me doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, put something on the head. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, things to do that can improve. Uh, no kidding, but, but very like, you know, kind of, this is like macho Buddhism. Um, you have monks like, um, that get so kind of worked up uh, stories of monks sitting by the well, open well, to meditate, to overcome sleepiness. <laughs> so go to the ledge, you know, of some building and. <laughs> Wide awake. Oh, problem over. <laughs> Just start with this, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, what are we trying to bring awareness to? What are we trying to bring awareness to? Well, for now, breath, spine, body. Yeah. So now. It's looking at the content. It's now at the beginning of this is learning what to do with our attention. But as we talked about last week, all this learning of what to do with the attention, with the awareness, eventually you turn it upon itself. So that you experience awareness itself. That's something for later. That you become aware of awareness itself. And then world peace. Peace might taste a little bit better. I don't know about... (laughs) What do you turn your awareness to later in later practices other than awareness itself? Nothing or... Awareness itself. Or like samadhi or something, is that, are there like whole steps of things to become aware of? That could be. I mean, I've only heard of like words floating around like that. I don't yeah, know. yeah. It depends uh, on the kind of the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are 40 objects to focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all those are exercises to kind of, uh, as we talked about last week, you know, you you, you do you always begin with um, the type of meditation that is called like shamatha or calm abiding, 
And for that, you can have, like, in one tradition, you know, there's like 40 different objects that one could use right, to kind of focus the mind. Like concepts or objects? Uh, objects, like uh, a, a, a round, you know, red circle. Mm. Uh, so there's like different colors. And then even, then, you know, breath, and then, and then even contemplating, they say, like, the qualities of the divine beings. Yeah, that means like the Care Bears for us. <laughs> you know, like love. You could focus your mind on that too. But all of that is to bring, you know, focus, the mind coming into focus. Uh, so, so there are all these different, like, but they, they are not the goal. Uh, it doesn't stop there. Uh, but in these uh, the classical texts about, like, for example, they call it, uh, you know, like, like meditating on, on like this, this, yeah, this mental image of a round red circle, um, or uh, a round, actually, a round disc, yellow. Right? And 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 in those texts, they talk about how. You could even master the ability of solidifying water enough to walk on water. The Jesus trick. Buddha said the same. (laughs) To walk on water. I don't know. Is that what you're working on? No. Gave up a long time ago. (laughs) There's actually a funny story about that. Um, uh, so a few monks you know they have been meditating in the forest for a long time uh, separately but they come together from time to time to sit and meditate so as they're meditating <clears throat> one of them got up went to the river looked very intently on the river and uh, and then suddenly he just like walked across it, and then he came back. You know, and so this one monk is like, "Wow!" So then the next monk, after a while, does that. So now everyone has done that except for this monk. <laughs> you know, who's like, "I got to focus better." So finally he felt the pressure, you know. Like everyone has done that. So he walks to the river. And he steps into it and kaplunk. Then he, you know, kind of climbs back out. Try it again, you know. Kaplunk. After a few tries, the rest of his companions came to him and said, What are you doing? It's like trying, trying to cross, you know. And the guys are like, well, then look for the rocks. Uh, there's stories like that in the Buddhist tradition as much as there are a lot of miraculous stories. There's also all these kinds of stories to kind of undermine 
all these wish for the magical, the miraculous. Uh, another story had the Buddha actually responding to a situation like that. There was a ascetic that came to the Buddha and said, "You know, I heard you know that you're a great spiritual teacher. Of course, in his context, it means you have powers." And so the man asked him, "Like, what kind of powers do you have?" The Buddha said, "Well, I don't know what kind of powers you're thinking of. Why don't you give me an example?" So the guy said, "Well, I can now walk. You know, I can now cross the river, uh, like walking." On the surface across the river, so Buddha said, "Well, how, well, that's really very impressive. How long did it take for you to master that that ability?" And the man said, "The ascetic says like six years or seven years or whatever." You know, Buddha said, "Well, really, seven years?" He said, "Yes, yeah, seven years." And the Buddha said, "You see that ferryman that's parked over there? I just give him two cents. He takes me across." You spent seven years. <laughs> so there, there are all these stories within the tradition that seems to undermine um, the uh, focus on that. In the practices of the samadhi entering a- absorption, we actually see actually within the Buddha's like some of the earliest stories about the Buddha's life and how he lived on a day-to-day basis. It does talk about him entering these states of samadhi, of of meditative absorption, whereby you are completely impervious to whatever that is going on. Uh, and and there seems to be a, a role for that, which for many of us is not relevant, because our kind of Training of the mind is so coarse at this level that striving for samadhi can become kind of a distraction and a frustration. And so, deliberately, what I'm uh, the approach that I'm taking for these four classes is grounded more in the way. So, I didn't make this up. So, just if you're curious. It takes more of the style that is taught within the forest tradition of Thailand, uh, where, generally speaking, uh, techniques are not emphasized. You know, they're not so committed to techniques. Again, generally speaking, say, uh, even within the Theravada fold, which is what Thai Buddhism is. Burmese meditation are very technique based uh, it's like only one technique works the rest don't don't even try uh, so Burmese tradition very strongly on techniques and on mastering techniques yeah? and then this kind of there's the next level and then there's the next level and then there's the next level uh, so the equivalent of that in the Japanese world is sort of like the Rinzai tradition, where there's a curriculum of like breakthroughs that you work on. Uh, they they use koan system, and so the koans become increasingly difficult. So they talk about levels of breaking through koans. Then the other approach uh, is Soto Zen, which is most of Zen in this country. Uh, emphasizes what they call only sitting. 
So with no emphasis on breaking through stages. And that is kind of kind of close in style to the forest tradition where the emphasis is more on letting go. Learn to kind of notice. Learn to pay attention to the way things are. And so how are things? First thing to pay attention to is things are inconstant. Things change. Things are impermanent. Things are inconstant. And then particularly the inconstancy of the heart. How, how momentary each experience is. So you bring awareness ultimately to the momentary nature of the heart. And the more you are able to bring awareness to the momentary nature of the heart, the more you see the inconstancy of experience itself, then the more wisdom arises. And the more in tune we are with the way things are. Rather than the way we want them to be or the way we imagine them to be. So so there are these two kind of strands even within the Buddhist tradition. One is about kind of achieving, achieving, achieving. And the other one is about letting go letting go, letting go. Let's take five, ten minutes. Break? <laughs> yes. So just just so you kind of know like where we're going uh, with this. So by the fourth Sunday, um, then you know some something kind of more like specific. I, I would recommend for you to kind of do. So deliberately, these first few uh, classes, 
I don't want to give like this or that technique because we're so technique oriented and, and we think like you know then, then we take it and then we're like okay I need to refine it I need to really do good at it and all of that that's part of the problem Right, to approach this whole kind of issue you know, from the perspective of like, if only I get it right, everything will just be right. <laughs> and I'll submit that that's not the Buddha's answer to this existential problem. And so, so the approach here, uh, to quote someone else, uh, this is from the Japanese tradition, Hakuin, uh, he was a reviver of the Rinzai tradition. I, I, I think if I remember correctly, it's like 17th century. Uh, he says, uh, there is no truth to be sought outside. No truth to be sought outside. Just one's own opinions to be dropped. That, and that's squarely in the how it's you know the approach here like like this this activity of meditation you're, you're not looking for some truth that will dawn yeah it's not to say that that experience will not arise but you cannot approach this practice by when is the big bang going to happen <laughs> Yeah, where are the fireworks? So it's not to be approached as gaining rather than losing, dropping. Yeah? So it's helpful. Right? This this pithy saying. Yeah, in approaching meditation, in approaching uh, training the citta, the awareness, the mind. The developing of citta, citta bhavanga, in the Indian languages. That training is not so much. Don't approach it like like you know training to be a great athlete training. But rather to relinquish. So we start by relinquishing. how tightly we hold on to our opinions. Opinions are important, useful, yeah, in the different day-to-day work that we do in interacting with people. We all have opinions. But it's how tightly we hold on to these opinions and how much in turn then these opinions these projections, these concepts take over, that's when it becomes oppressive, that's when it becomes suffering. What would they call suffering? Because we walk around with all these opinions. When the task here is to learn how to Relinquish. So just for the time that you set aside, 
you know, learn how to relinquish these opinions. Yes? Can you talk a little bit about um, attention and awareness, like uh-huh. the distinction between having attention and having... Mm, at this point, it's synonymous. Okay. Yeah, just paying attention. Okay. Yeah, just paying attention. Okay. <laughs> at this point, that's that's uh, what we're training is to bring attention, to bring awareness. So no no difference being made at this point. Okay. Yeah. Later, I prefer to use the word awareness rather than attention, because attention is uh, somewhat contrived. Uh, later. The awareness that I'm talking about is simply that ability to know. That ability to know. Which is another way of saying Buddha. Buddha is to know. So that's a very kind of subtle... uh, But that's, that's what it's all about. that which knows. Uh, but before we can kind of experience that which knows, uh, we need to cultivate attention. Because now our attention is scattered. Right? So now we want to have pay attention to being in the body. Uh, Not all cultures have such disembodied experiences as this culture, I think, generally speaking. And because there's such a disembodied uh, kind of existence, then to compensate, then there is the cult of worshipping the body. (laughs) Because it's a fetishized, yeah, it's made it into a totem, this body. Right? So, so it's a schizophrenic kind of not understanding what the body is, not understanding what it means to have a body, to be embodied. So then you fetishize bodies and ideal bodies, and, and then it goes on and on and on. Uh, so particularly like teaching in this context, I think we have to begin by giving people, you know, calling people's attention. Attention is a good word. Calling people's attention to, you know, what does it feel to be embodied? We're, we're, we're so used to the grosser aspects of body, which is the 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 unhealthy, exaggerated. So here in this exercise earlier, when I said, let your awareness, right, or let your attention kind of go beyond the spine, right, the central column, going out, out into sort of, you know, kind of imagining, yeah, and feeling. Where's that line between where the body ends and space begins? And of course, you know, you're like, no, that's not possible to feel it. 
But it's very subtle. So try that subtlety. So sometimes you do this. Of course, it's not prescribed in any Buddhist text to do this. Yeah, but do this and sort of, you know. And so, if you're listening to this uh, uh, later and not having the visual, what I'm doing is I'm moving my hand across space, right? So just just do that and feel, right? And then so the air. Uh, maybe you don't feel so much of it, right? But summer's here. <laughs> yeah, jump in the river or in the pool. Right? Then you can feel, right? The body moving in space. Right? But that space is water. And then, you know, become more aware of body moving in space. Then when we become more aware of body uh, interestingly uh, if you use this convention skillfully then uh, you do not become so obsessed with body because you're connecting to embodiment on a whole different level now then starting from there you bring attention to Breath. Because breath is a very subtle object. And you could say that breath is that bridge between body and mind. Right? It's in between. This is pretty coarse. Mind is subtle. Breath is in between. That's the bridge. And that's why there's so much emphasis on breath. Of course... That itself, again, is not the end, the goal. And then slowly you begin to uh, develop uh, the ability to, uh, to let attention abide. And overall, that, that's helpful. You know, in whatever you are doing, you know, in, in, in your post-meditation life, <laughs> which is most of your life, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's helpful, right, to develop attention, ability to remain abiding with attention. Now, I only have my own stuff and I don't know your stuff, you know. So just kind of a general question. Are you always thinking? Mm-hmm. Or you feel like you're always thinking? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Really? Mm-hmm. Say, say more. Say more about that. If you're comfortable. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I noticed something about my thinking when I'm in meditation and the best way I can explain it is that it seems to happen on many layers all at the same time so there's not one thought Uh there are many many thoughts simultaneously occurring okay in meditation you can see that you say (laughs) so you suspect that when you're not meditating it's even worse ah okay (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah. That is? Yeah. Just my day-to-day life, wandering around, I'll see something and have you know, the many layers of thought she's talking about. Uh-huh. Like, oh, it's the color red. What shade of red is it? Is it because of the light on it? Is it because of the shadow on it? Who huh. made that? Where did the fibers come from? What is it made of? Mm-hmm. Who invented that process first? I'm just like <laughs> on and on and on huh. down this like rabbit hole of a thousand thoughts about any given object and like, oh, I was crossing the street and almost died. <laughs> okay. Um, not always and then often. There's uh-huh. a few questions too. Um, and then uh, do you want me to ask those questions now? Related to specific this issue or not yet? Then not if yet. not yet we'll then we'll yeah. I just want to see, you know. Well, yes. I was thinking about the refrigerator. <laughs> huh, okay. Uh, next thing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you feel there's a lot of activity always going on. Mm-hmm. Yes. I find that I'm thinking most of the time, but not when I'm doing something like um, repetitive and with my hands, like, hmm. I sew and do embroidery and that kind of thing. And then you can find some quiet, you feel? Yeah, it's like, hmm. I don't right. really have to think. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, when I used to paint many, many hours during the day, um, I'm making decisions, actually, all the time. Yes. But I'm not thinking that. Okay, a different kind of, yeah. You're kind of absorbed in what you're doing, but right. You still have to be really present to make the distinctions. Or maybe there is thinking, but it's not like words. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's a good distinction to to start yeah. with. Like, uh, how many of you think that you you too much mental activity of that type is going on in your life? Stewart uh-huh. says, I find that trying to calm my mind often stimulates more random thoughts. In everyday life, I am probably a blank much of the time. Oh, well then maybe there's no problem. <laughs> yeah, because there's so many kinds of thinking. So, so that's helpful, right? With the words. Yeah, with words, with concepts, words that lead to more words. Yeah. Well, I find that I'm constantly thinking forward or backwards, mm-hmm. and often creating pain and suffering. Yeah. Um, in disembodiment, that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing something more repetitive, like walking, um, is helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, it can be somewhat torturous to always be ahead or behind. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I notice just in regular time that the, the thought processes are like the the mind is like a um, it goes on rewind and replay. It goes on rewind and replay ah. experiences over and over. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes I feel pressured to be thinking all the time. Like by others to always like fill the space with some kind right. of random thought or conversation and like right be useful be productive like un- part of it might be upbringing 
uh, and and I think uh, uh, there are pluses to be said about that, but there's a price to pay for that. I've noticed how um, Americans, well, certain type of Americans, I guess, I've not met every single type. <laughs> um, kids are encouraged to be curious and to think yes. in in ways that. I know from other cultures, they're not encouraged necessarily to be curious and to think. And I think this is just one of the price to pay. I used to work for IBM, and we actually gave out little pads with the word think on it. Think oh, think pad, right. <laughs> and and it, it became think pad. It became a big thing. Yeah. But they had the idea a long time ago. Uh-huh. And you were supposed to keep these pads with you all the time and you pull them out. They're a little leather. Right, little right, things. right. And think. And journaling, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, again, I, I, I want to remind you what I said last week, okay? We, we want to be realistic about the scope of what we're talking about. So none of what I'm talking about here. You should just like think that I'm blanketly, you know, blanketing everything under the sun that's possible. Yeah, so don't take it to that degree. So, for example, again, like encouraging kids the way that, you know, they are encouraged to think and to be curious about things. So I think that that kind of encourages thought activity, yeah, in a way that some cultures don't, don't like explicitly. Yeah, hold it as 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 valuable to tell a kid be curious and think, right? And and that that has some other consequences, right? No no coincidence that you know the United States is the most powerful nation on earth historically, and now um, that comes as a consequence. I mean, there are causes and effects, but there there is like a a consequence to. Um, then maybe some others the mental activity is still going on but maybe not concepts not ideas not words uh, maybe more you know less clear but, but nonetheless emotions are going on yeah. a lot of worries uh-huh. Family members. Yeah. Right. So not necessarily words, but there is a different kind of busyness that also goes on. So, yes. Maybe there's one other kind of thing, too. Like, I don't feel like I'm thinking when I'm reading a book. Mm-hmm. If it's a story, not yes. not like a concept book. Yeah. Um, there's like an experiential. Yes. Sort of like experiencing someone else's life without evaluating it. Sure. Adding my own stories, but then that's still I don't know mental activity. It, it, it is, and and of course mental activity cannot really be stopped. Uh, you could slow it down. You could limit it. And that's what we're doing with these exercises to bring attention. Uh, so in the same way, reading a book. In the same way, 
doing you know the art work right it's not like mental activity has stopped but it's it's being harnessed right it's it's sort of being being brought in together and likewise when 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 we say okay i'm going to spend 15 minutes now to meditate uh you're bringing your attention to so your spine your body and then your breath right so you're bringing your attention hurting them all together and at this point it is necessary to put some effort and some determination so as i said it's best when you start a session you say to everything that i have been programmed to continuously think about worry about plan about wondering about for the next 15 minutes you all have to just wait all of that you need to wait later yes and if you are doing a whole day of this then you know manana <laughs> yeah tomorrow right because that 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 approach is really important i think for many of us again different cultures you know there there are definitely meditation texts that talk about striking down extraneous thoughts yeah like 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 a like a uh um a sentry uh being hired to take out enemies that might breach you know the security that approach like striking slashing down right distractions um i think for many of us that approach uh leads to like as somebody said you know steward i think uh, in the skype that just leads to even more yeah it's like suddenly you have just summoned all the enemies that can come from any direction to come right there is no end to like slicing them down mm-hmm. um so this particular approach is just instead of like fighting them say to them yes you will have your time but later not now so for that hour for that 15 minutes for that 20 minutes uh you you can you know bring attention to you know being in the body uh, as a starting point then shift to breath then that space between the end of an inhalation and the beginning of an exhalation that that pause that space look for it don't think of it don't imagine it but look for it look for that space here something to consider Uh, this is a quote from you could say the originator of the modern 
movement of the Thai forest tradition, which started in the 19th century, early 19th century. Uh, Ajahn Man, uh, he left very few writings, um, but this is one that uh, he did. And it says, you can't remedy the changing of conditions. Sankara in Pali or Sanskrit. Samskara, which means conditioned. These conditions, which is everything. All conditioned states is what Sankara in Sanskrit means. So he says, you can't remedy the changing of conditioned states. He said that the only thing that is unconditioned, that we know of, that we experience, is space. Space is unconditioned. But everything else is conditioned. And so he says, you can't remedy the changing of conditions. Fashioned by karma, they are out despite no one. But we don't normally think of that. We think they're out to spite us, particularly me. <laughs> right? These conditions are conspiring against me. But he says, no, fashioned by karma, which means actions, that has, in this case, is talking about past. Right? And you have no control over what has already happened in the past. I mean, you have control of, of sorts over what's going to happen in the future, right, and in the present. But here, it already happened. So, fashioned by karma, they're out despite no one. If you grasp hold of them and push them this way and that, then the mind has become defiled, or obscured. If you grasped hold of them to push them this way and that way, then the mind has become obscured. Don't think of resisting the natural way of all things. Let good and evil, and here, you know, it's kind of these words are kind of loaded for us, but basically what it means is let desirable and undesirable. That's what good and evil here means. That which we find to be desirable, pleasant, undesirable, unpleasant. Let good and evil follow their own affairs. We simply free ourselves. Unentangled by the conditions, that's what's peaceful and cool. When you know the truth, you have to let go of these conditions as soon as you see they are changing. So part of why we, are, we, we need to learn to abide with attention, yeah, like shamatha, like calm abiding, 
See, the thing about calm abiding meditation, like those samadhi states, those states of absorption, um, they can they are very pleasant. Uh, or in the Pali tradition, they call these jhana states. They're very pleasant. Uh, like even like physically, uh, you feel kind of this ease and joy. Uh, people talk about like a tingly sensation around the hands, and you know, and, and pleasant, very pleasant. See, the thing about these types of experiences is that when they occur, and if you don't have the right attitude towards them, then they become very attractive. <laughs> then with attraction comes obsession. But if you have the right attitude and the right understanding about what they are, then in that very relaxed and pleasant right, experience, <coughs> while within that, you can direct that attention to watching how conditions arise, how conditions cease. You can, you can meditate then. You, so earlier there was a question of awareness of what? Ultimately, awareness of inconstancy supported by a very pleasant state of mind. The opposite kind of mistake of meditating on inconstancy without the support of a pleasant state of mind can lead to a lot of inner turmoil. See, so those things work hand in hand. Uh, so so there, there, there are people who have done what they call, you know, insight meditation or, or vipassana. Sometimes it can go kind of off the program because there isn't that support of a pleasant state of mind. Then depression sometimes sets in. Uh, certain forms of psychosis kind of gets triggered as well. So it's like you 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 do too much of that kind of watching the inconstancy, but without having first kind of established. And so coming back to this approach that I'm kind of sharing with you is an approach where there is a certain lightness of heart in understanding that everything is just fine. And first, first you establish that. Right? So, um, begin with uh, kind of being aware of being an embodied being. Um, kind of encourage kind of positive feelings, emotions associated being 
associated with having a body. So in this meditation, we started right, holding up your body and opening and feel right, that you're holding up your body and your mind is clear. There are Buddhist meditation whose technique is the complete opposite of this, which is meditating on the body rotting and maggots crawling in and out. I mean, I mean, there are places in Thailand, for example, uh, uh, routinely the, the local police department would call up the monks, yep, we have a really rotting body we just found. And some monks would go there and sit there and meditate on it. Because that's what, you know, the, you know, the issues, whatever that they're working with, one technique the Buddha recommended is to meditate on, like, you know, a, a, a fresh crop, a, a corpse yeah. that's, that over a week you sit and you watch how it falls apart. But I don't think that's good for most in this room because of our particular relationship with the body. So, first, you know, need to develop kind of ease and joy yeah, associated with you know, being embodied. Question, yes? Yes. Um, you have said that connecting to the body and embodiment brings joy. Does that... In a skillful you, way. Yeah. Does that joy dispel craving for pleasure? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> Report back. Um, I don't know Um, possibly but here because it's not an end by itself this is just building the support that is necessary for then Meditating on inconstancy, on change. So that's that's the particular interest of, yeah. So this is not like the body is so good. You can do that somewhere else, and maybe maybe you know that like it would even like uh, address issues of like addiction to physical pleasures in the Dhammapada. Uh, it says again and again, you know, uh, be careful with how craving for physical sensation can lead to all kinds of uh, mischief. Um, so it says, uh, as a stormy wind can uproot a frail tree, so one who holds heedlessly to pleasure who indulges in food as is indolent, can be uprooted by Mara. Mara is like the proverbial tempter. As a stormy wind cannot move a mountain of rock, so one who contemplates the reality of the body, who develops faith and energy, is unmoved by Mara. 
What's interesting here is that contemplating the reality of the body develops confidence or faith and energy. What's the reality of the body in this context? The reality of the body in this context uh, is... So these are the, the paired verses. So the verse before talking about indulging in food and is indolent, right? And, and heedlessly kind of chasing pleasure. So then the opposite of that is to understand that uh, the body itself isn't really the source of the pleasure that you're seeking. It's certainly the context for that kind of pleasure to arise. But because the body is inconstant, then the pleasure that is derived will always be inconstant. Yeah, so that reality needs to be clear. Then, yes? And so then we become less enslaved to kind of bodily pleasures. And together with that pain, less enslaved to that. And it all begins by cultivating first proper attention. Skillful attention. Yes. Uh, when you're talking about doing this practice, that changing your relationship to the embodiment or to your embodiment, mm-hmm. can you? Oh, that yeah. All, all I'm saying is that you know, if you move your hand through space, right, you become what you want to do with that. You know, this is just kind of a silly example, but but you know, you could use that. It's just to become more aware. Yeah, that that this body yeah, that we kind of take for granted, we begin to pay attention to it now. And the goal is to kind of bring back to support yeah, that time when we sit, right? And I say, okay, now let your attention go from your spine and radiate out to the rest of your body. And then try to, right, feel where does the body end, where does the space starts. Feel. Don't think. Feel. So you have like an awareness that you have a body that is moving through space. Yes. That's more constant. Right. Like that awareness will become... Yes. So that that awareness... Uh, can become more, and so that that then builds one layer of this foundation that we're talking about. Because from there we don't stop there. Then the next thing is we pull our attention in, 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 towards where breath enters the body. So rather than talking about it, 
Yes. One question. Yes. Um, where is the attitude of everything is okay anchored? If the body is unreliable, is it just an opinion to be cultivated? It's a relaxation to relax into. <laughs> like, I was kind of wondering that too like body unreliable like people who have chronic pain stuff that that uh, the meditation is to be okay with that feeling even though the body doesn't feel okay most of the time just being like this is fine this is fine this is what is it's fine that right now the reality is this is the pain that is going on yeah. so it's not to cover over it and say ooh you know <laughs> it's not painful yeah yeah the, the okay that we're talking about is in the bigger picture of it's okay in the bigger picture of what was it, Christina? One blue dot? <laughs> One blue dot? The pale blue dot. Yeah, the pale blue dot. Yeah, the pale blue dot. That's where you anchor it. Um, Carl yeah, Carl Sagan. In this whole universe, right? Where we inhabit is one pale blue dot. In that one pale blue dot, there's you. <laughs> all, all our wars and all our stuff that we fight over politics, all the people that we, all the people that we know or know or living in our future, all on this pale blue dot, which is us. You guys can look it up online. <laughs> <laughs> now, before you do that, let's have a few moments. We're already four o'clock. I don't want to keep you here too long. But let's do a few moments of going through that particular sequence, yeah? And then you try it yeah, at home when you go home. Yeah, so you begin by slowly, deliberately uh, putting yourself in a physical posture. Uh, that you yourself, regardless of what other people say, that you yourself, through your own experience, find to be uh, supportive, supportive of remaining alert, supportive of uh, cultivating attention. So you scan your body to see if there are tightness, tenseness, making small, subtle adjustments is more helpful than big moves. Slightly adjusting, maybe putting your weight slightly to the right or slightly to the left or front or back. So you have to experience it. Experiment with it. So then slowly let your body settle into ease, 
And then whatever sensation that are undesirable, that will not go away, then just look at that as it is what it is. That it's momentary as well. Then bring your attention to your spine, the central column. Think of it even as holding up heaven and earth, keeping them in their places. And as you stretch upwards, feel the mind opening and being at ease. Then direct your breath and let your breath sweep down to your spine so that the spine is relaxed even as it is holding up the body. the spine, let your attention move outwards to the rest of your body, appreciate the sense of presence, and note that everything that you're feeling and experiencing is happening in the vastness of awareness of knowing that is the background supporting all of this is your ability to know your ability to be aware is where all these experiences and sensations are taking place no need to think too much about it, just a moment of recognition that everything that you're experiencing, whether physical or emotional, is taking place because of awareness. Then slowly, gradually, bring your awareness in a more focused state. Your attention that is spread out now, pull them all in and bring them to where breath enters your body. Then from there, you can switch your attention to watching the comings and the goings of breath, the inhalation and the exhalation,
see if you can find that moment of silence and pause in between inhalation and exhalation, in between exhalation and inhalation. want to leave you with another contemplation from the Dhammapada, even though this is not directly about meditation, but this is sort of the bigger picture that informs the kind of meditation that we're learning. It says, those who are contentious have forgotten that we all die. For the wise who reflect on this fact, there are no quarrels. This is not just about being contentious with other people, with other people's opinions, with things going on outside. This is not just about quarrels with neighbors or co-workers. Before even all of that, it's being contentious with ourselves and having quarrels with our thoughts with our emotions those who are contentious have forgotten that we all die for the wise who reflect on this fact there are no quarrels We have to establish our practice with more ah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.